It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Hi. Glad to see you today. I shall button the buttons on the sweater, change my shoes, and get ready to have some time with you in this very special studio of ours. Do you ever change your shoes when you come home from someplace? Oh, your school or your work or get ready to play. How are you doing with your tying? Took me a long time to learn how to make that and that into a bow. Mm -hmm. But I kept practicing and practicing and practicing and finally learned quickly. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so. Let's make the most of this beautiful day, beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine, could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? It is a beautiful day. Doesn't matter what it's like outside, can be a beautiful day inside. Mm -hmm. Well, hello everyone. It's great to see you this morning. For all of you who are watching online or listening and not seeing the video, what you just saw was the first time that Mr. Rogers ever sang that song, and then compared to the very last time he sang that song. Don't you just love those words of that song? Won't you be my neighbor? Do you ever get home from school or work and you change your shoes, you take off your shoes, you put on something a little more comfy for the day, to be a little more casual with your friends, with your neighbors? Well, please bear with me as I get a little more casual here. Just like Mr. Rogers, many years of teaching on love and on neighborly conduct taught us. Thank you.
Don't you just love the words to that song? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? You see, some things might have changed in that video over the years. Some things might have changed in his life. He got a little bit older. In fact, if you check YouTube, you might even see that they changed the actor a couple times, once after his death, um, and they redid this. They actually made a movie in tribute to him and, and this kind of ministry he had over the years, um, this TV show with Tom Hanks. And then eventually, they also made an animated series with Daniel Tiger's neighborhood, but they use some of the same words to that song. You see, some things change, but not the words, and especially not that end, those words, would you be mine, could you be mine, and then the ending, won't you please, won't you please, please, won't you be my neighbor. This is week eight in the conversationalist series, Parables of Jesus, and Jesus has wisdom for daily living. Jesus has wisdom for us, and we're looking to his wisdom, his stories, his life examples and teachings to see how we are to live. Now, we have, we have looked greatly over the last seven weeks as to our forgiveness, our life, our knowledge in the word of God. But today we're going to change directions a little bit. As we've spent so much time speaking of us personally, our forgiveness... I want us to look now to our neighbors and how we are to love them as we love ourselves. After all, it's Valentine's Day. Man, I hope you knew that. <laughs> Women too. Today we are talking about love. Well, not really. This really is not a Valentine's Day themed message, but I guess it does fit in a little bit. You see, we're talking about love and we're talking about forgiveness. In fact, the Bible tells us that God showed us his love in sending Jesus to die for us yet while we were still sinners. And why would God do such a thing? Because we needed forgiveness. Our neighbors need love too. Our neighbors need forgiveness too. Now, who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is everybody. I know we hear that word and maybe just think of that one person on the house beside you that you like, the person on the other side of your house that maybe you don't like, maybe you think of of the person across the street who plays with your kids and you just, you just have a great relationship with. But you see in Mark 12, 29 to 31, Jesus tells us that this is the second greatest commandment after the order to love God. He says, Jesus says regarding the greatest commandment, the most important one Jesus answered is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You see, it's not enough to just love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. For the seed planted within us and growing within our lives, we must also love our neighbors as we love ourselves. This is part of the greatest commandments that Jesus told us about. This is part of truly being fruitful, part of having evidence for this new faith, this new life that's within us. We must love others. We must forgive others. We must be a good neighbor. We must invite others into our lives to be our neighbor. We must unite for the kingdom of God. Yes, let us unite around the love and forgiveness that we have through Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Show them the love and forgiveness that you have. Show it to one another. 
We must be a house united, not divided. For as Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. Let me say that again. Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. I apologize, I don't have any slides made for this morning, but you can open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be reading a parable, reading a story out of that for, in just a few minutes. Get your pens, get your paper ready, ready to take notes, because I'll move kind of fast, but it's okay. You can always ask me later for something you might have missed, or I can just email you a copy of all of my notes with all the scriptures and all of the points. You see, there's two types of neighbors. Two types of neighbors. TV shows and movies have made a lot of money off this idea. We have the neighbors who are always at war. Family feuds, the Hatfields, the McCoys, or the ones who are always suspicious of each other. Spying on each other, watching to see what they're doing wrong or trying to look for fault. But then we have the other neighbors portrayed in TV shows and movies. The neighbors who are always having one another over for cookouts, for parties and sharing pies and cups of sugar. Now let me just take a moment and say, if anybody ever wants to share a pie with me, that's fine. I like, I think I've liked all the Main Street Cafe's pies thus far, too. They make a good one. But here's the point. We should be that second type of neighbor. We should be the neighbor that's, that's always inviting and loving and forgiving and caring for one another. Let's be friendly, loving, forgiving, but let's not be fake. Let's be real and from the heart. You see, we are family. We're brothers and sisters through our faith in Christ, and we should love each other as families do. In fact, there's one part of Scripture. I believe it is in Mark 3, 31 to 35, which tells us that Jesus came down and his people, his disciples asked, shouldn't you go to be with your family? And he tells them, you are my family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all brothers and sisters in this universal church of believers, followers after Christ. So we must show one another grace, mercy, love, forgiveness as families do. You see, when you have a fight in a family, you work through it. Yes, you might be mad at each other for a while, but then the next day you wake up and you still realize, hey, that's my brother. That's my sister. In fact, you might be having a feud with that brother or sister for years. But then you hear of your brother or sister being ill, or you hear of them being mistreated by somebody, and you stand up for them. You support them. You care for them. That's what families do. And that's what we do for one another as well. This is what we do. Don't allow your feelings to keep you from following Jesus' example for kingdom living and glorifying God. We can evaluate the Bible, Jesus' words, his actions, his teachings, and you will see this general idea of loving on one another, caring for each other, forgiving one another, building each other up. What you will not see, let me again say that, what you will not see is that the church should be divided or devouring one another, tearing each other apart. No, 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 no. God does not want that. That is what Satan wants in order to take our focus off of God. Satan wants nothing more for us to be so focused on tearing apart each other that we're not building up the kingdom around us for God's glory. Satan wants us focused so much on tearing apart each other in the walls that we don't notice that he is at the walls breaking them down. 
Here's a point for you note takers. Standing in unity with other Christians around the person of Jesus Christ will help us fight against the enemy. It will also help you to live better lives together as God intended. Lives which are a testimony of God's love and God's forgiveness through Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior. Let me repeat that again for you note takers. Again, I say, standing in unity with other Christians around the person of Jesus Christ will help us fight against the enemy. That's Satan. That's his supernatural influence over this world and his armies. It will also help us to live better lives together as God intended and have a testimony which which shines the light of Christ on all and his love, his grace, his mercy. But to have unity, to have this unity, we must have love and we must have forgiveness. We can't be spiteful. We can't be talking behind people's back. We can't be holding grudges like the Hatfields and McCoys and holding on to feuds which have lasted way too long. 1 John 4, 21 says, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Our love for God must unite us together despite our differences, despite past personal sins against one another. We must show love and forgive. Our love for God can be our power. The love that God showed us can give us cause to overcome feuds. Leviticus 19.18 tells us, forget about the wrong things people do to you. Don't try to get even. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's like God signing his name. Who's telling us to do this? The Lord God Almighty. We move forward today with a parable of forgiveness. Jesus gave us a great story to help illustrate forgiveness, and it's the parable, the unforgiving, the unmerciful servant found in Matthew 18, 21 to 35. So please follow along in a Bible in your pews or at home with me as I read. Matthew 18, 21 to 35, the parable of the unforgiving, unmerciful servant. I'll be reading out of the ESV translation. Verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but up to 77 times. Now, some translations say 70 times seven. Doesn't matter in the end. What you see is this. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let's pause for a moment and consider how big of a debt that truly was, 10,000 talents. Now, research shows that the number 10,000 was the largest number in the Greek language, and because of that, it was often used figuratively for meaning countless. It was too, too great of a number to count, too great of a number to ever repay. It's used that way in 1 Corinthians 4.15, but it's also used in Revelation 5.11, where the number of angels is translated as being myriads, a transliteration of the, of the word countless here. And if the term is used in a similar manner here, then this servant has a countless debt. It's a huge debt. The amount is staggering, and it could never be repaid. In working wages of the day, the value of money at the time, it could be over 200,000 years worth of labor. 
Now, some have said $10 million today. Now, there's different theories on how this person could have have racked up such a debt. There's different theories, but really what matters in the end is not the exact amount, but the point that it's amount so big that it could never be repaid, and yet we see that out of compassion, it will be forgiven. So let's read on. Verse 25, And since he could not repay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, king, pleading with him, pleading with the king. Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. But not because he could, he could pay him back, no. He forgave him the debt. All of it. All the debt was forgiven. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him. Now let's pause again. Could you see yourself doing this? Come on, yes. I know I could. I know I have. You just got embarrassed. You almost got imprisoned. You almost got judged and penalized greatly with your family, with your your children. And everything taken away from you to pay back this debt. Now this king was gracious, compassionate, and let you go. Even forgave it all. But now you go out and you find those people who who owe you money. And maybe you think, oh. Man, that was a close one, but i got to be better off next time. So I'm going to go to these people. I'm going to gather all this money that's owed to me. Maybe to get a little bit of your pride back and to feel like you have something because now you just felt like you had nothing. But if we look to the rest of the example here, we see that we're not to be prideful, but to be humble and to forgive others as we have been forgiven. Verse 28 goes on. Now, let me take a moment here to say, too, ultimately this example, this parable, this story is not about money. We know that. This is an example of God as king, forgiving his servants, forgiving his children, which is us, of all of our sins, not keeping a record of wrongs, not holding on to some of it, and using that as an example of how we as servants, as children of God, should forgive the other children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, of their personal sins against us. I'm not telling you to go wipe away all, the, all those who owe you money. Although maybe in some cases it's a good generous gift or a good thing to be shown. But that's not what this is about. Let's read on. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, this is nothing in comparison to what he owed. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which we know he could never repay. 
Verse 35, Jesus takes his direction back to his disciples or Peter or whoever is near and says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Not fake, not just to put on a show, not just to make Jesus happy in that moment, but truly, from your heart, forgive them. Show them love. Show them a mercy, even if they don't deserve it. You see, I think this parable is quite simple to understand. The parable is not meant to confuse, but help clarify this idea of forgiveness. We need not pick this apart, but I do want to make sure that we see the big ideas, and then we just see the application to our life. What are we to do now that we've read this, that we understand this? Thank you to the Holy Spirit of God living within us to help us to understand the Word of God and to apply it to our life for righteous, God-glorifying kingdom living. This parable is a story that illustrates a truth about the kingdom of heaven. As with any parable, it has a main point, and several of the key figures are analogous to reality. But as with any parable, not every item has a parallel in reality. In this parable, the king is representative of God, and the servants, representative of mankind, all of men and women, including those in rebellion, are God's servants. We are his people. We are to serve him. The big idea I want you to see in this scripture, and I think is portrayed here, obviously, is this. Get your pen ready, your paper. God is merciful and forgiving, and he expects the same from his disciples. I'm going to repeat that again, and I'd like you to say it after me. God is merciful and forgiving, and he expects the same from his disciples. God is merciful and forgiving, and he expects the same from his disciples. Ephesians 4.32, we could say, is a key verse which helps illustrate this. Ephesians 4.32, which says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So number one here, I've got a few points. Number one <clears throat> is forgive others as you have been forgiven. We see this both in the relation of God to his people and the king to his servant, that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. Not because we deserve it, not because you paid for your forgiveness, but out of humility and love, compassion, grace and mercy, just as God in Christ forgave you and the king the servant. In God's great mercy, he gave his son to die in our place, compassionately, just as the king. He did this so that we could be forgiven. Because we were born in sin and we are all sinners. None are good. No, not one. We are told we should die for our sins. That is the punishment. But the gift of God is eternal life. It is God's desire that all repent and follow after his son, Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. 2 Peter 3.9, Romans 6.23 and Romans 3.23. You see, when we accept God's mercy, we must show mercy towards others. Help others to see God's mercy and love through our actions, our words, our thoughts. John Piper once said, if you're taking notes, it's a great quote. John Piper, God forgave us when we believed in Christ, Acts 10.43. Then from this broken, joyful, grateful, hopeful experience, 
of being forgiven, we must offer forgiveness to others. Let me say that once more. John Piper, God forgave us when we believed in Christ. Then from this broken, joyful, grateful, hopeful experience of being forgiven, we must offer forgiveness to others. Looking back to this illustration or story of Jesus, this parable, we can see more details about how this has happened, how this should happen, starting with number two. We must forgive endlessly and mercifully all debt. Again, Peter came up to Jesus and asked how often he must forgive others their sins against him. You see, in religious discussions of the day, the consensus was to, re- to forgive three times for the same thing, the same Um, sin against one. And on the first time, there is no forgiveness. Peter, thinking himself, maybe big-hearted volunteers, Jesus, should should should, should I forgive seven times? Oh, how I wish there was a number here. Maybe you do too. Possibly, we wish Jesus would speak as an umpire in baseball and say, three strikes, you're out. But no. Jesus answers Peter with an answer in a story. The answer is 77 times, or 70 times 7. The story is what we read of this parable. But please note that this is not meant to be an exact number to follow either. Rather, he teaches that forgiveness of fellow brothers and sisters, especially those in Christ, cannot possibly be limited to frequency or quantity. For as the parable shows, all have been forgiven far more than they will ever forgive of others the exact number does not matter what matters is the idea seven times can be remembered easily you remember the wrongs against you Jesus' point is that we should not limit our forgiveness to one another we should not keep count of wrongdoings the number by jesus illustrates a number which forces you to forgive and move forward And just as the king forgave all debt, God has forgiven all sin on us when we repent and ask forgiveness and follow after Christ as Lord and Savior. We must forgive all personal sin against us. No record keeping, no keeping of wrongdoings. Cross it out, throw it away, burn it up in the fire. Let let the ashes be blown away with the wind. Number three then is forgiveness means moving forward. Number three, forgiveness means moving forward. We will not keep a record of wrong, but we'll forgive others just as God has forgiven us. Do not hold grudges. Do not continue to pour out judgment upon them punishment. Or you'll be in the same situation as the unforgiving, unmerciful servant in the end. It does not mean that we forgive and forget in a way that allows ourselves to remain in situations where we are hurt or abused over and over again. One once stated, Sam Storms on a blog of the Acts 29 network on forgiveness, what it is, what it is not, stated, Forgiveness does not mean you become a helpless, passive doormat for their continual sin. And it also does not mean that we don't point out sin. For there are things that God has already judged. And it is wrong for us to, to, to allow somebody to continue to sin without pointing out that wrong so that they might live according to God's ways and not the world's ways. But we do forget the past sin in a way which helps both parties to move forward for the glory of God. We do forget the past sins which are personal sins against us so that we can move forward together serving God and glorifying Him with kingdom living. 
Sometimes that means you must distance yourself from a situation or for a time, but only after proper reconciliation and forgiveness so that you both truly can move forward in following Christ's actions, words, and teachings, and in kingdom living, glorifying God, serving God, and caring for one another. There's more on that in the scripture before this, but we don't have time for that today. Another quote for you, John Piper also recently said in an email on forgiveness, a devotional, Our forgiving others shows that we have faith. We are united to Christ. We are indwelt by the gracious, humbling Holy Spirit and empowered to live on with his wisdom, strength, power, and his purpose in mind. We can put aside the personal sins against us as we see that God has a greater purpose in mind and he wants us to work together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me repeat that again, John Piper. Our forgiving others shows that we have faith. We are united to Christ. We are indwelt by the gracious, humbling Holy Spirit and empowered to live on with his wisdom, strength, power, and his purpose in mind. So, to recap, to summarize a little bit this, this parable that we've read, we see a picture or a story, a parable of God's kingdom being narrowed down to the relationship between a master and his servants. Now, the problem is this servant owed an, un, an, an unpayable debt. And he pleads with the punishment would be to pay the debt, and he never could pay it. So, this servant pleads with the master, with the king, just as we plead with God for forgiveness. And out of compassion, the king forgave his servant. Out of compassion, God forgave us of our sins, even though we could never repay it. And what a great ending to the story that is. But this parable continues on. That person who was just forgiven so much went on and found people who owed him. But instead of showing forgiveness, he choked them. And even when that man pleaded with him on his knees, probably, just as he had, he would not forgive him. Instead, he sent him to jail. In the end, we see the big idea still. God is merciful and forgiving, and he expects the same from his disciples. But without forgiving others as we have been forgiven, we are seen as a wicked servant. That's what we see in the end of this parable. It tells us of the wicked, unmerciful servant being punished for his actions. And Jesus says that God will do the same to his unmerciful servants. You see, we must love and forgive. God commands this. God tells us this. Jesus himself uses a story, a parable, to help us to understand this. We must love and forgive, and it's not limited to three times. It's not limited to seven times. It is endlessly, and it is of all personal sins. To forgive is hard. I know it is. I've been wronged many times, too. I've been hurt many times. I've cried. I've, I've poured out my tears in the showers when I'm getting ready for to go to church in the morning at times. But in the end, I still pray to God and ask to forgive me. And Lord, may I also forgive my debtors, those trespasses against me. I, like you, know that it can be hard to forgive and show love to all my neighbors, to both sides. But it is easier, it is simpler, when in humility we look at all we have been forgiven and all we have received through Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember that key verse from the beginning, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
It has been said that a Christian's love for God can be measured by the way he treats his fellow man. A lack of kindness and mercy shows a lack of God in that life. What do your neighbors see in you? What do they hear in you? Are you asking for neighbors? Won't you be my neighbor? Or are you asking for feuds, for enemies? Let's be good to our neighbors. Show love even to our enemies. Not, not causing neighbors to continue to feud over things not remembered or things from the past which should have been swept away with the wind, but forgiven through love, through grace, through mercy, just like Christ Jesus showed us. Finally, before we wrap up, we must acknowledge that we also still sin. So every day we must continue to look to Christ's example on that cross, humbly dying for us to have love and forgiveness and a restored relationship with God. Every day look at that example to see how we've been forgiven and how we are also to forgive others. To show them love even when they seem like they don't deserve it. Let's live in accordance to his example. Him who humbly laid down his rights, humbly laid down his life for us. Let's take a moment to humble ourselves, to love and forgive even those who are still sinners. Even those who have not sought out our forgiveness. Even while they are committing evil deeds against us. Let's choose to leave the judgment and punishment to God. Show them the love of God. Show them Jesus. And then pray that they will notice the grace and mercy and come to you and ask why. May they come to you and plead with you for an answer saying, I do not deserve your mercy, your love. Why do you show this to me? And then you will be able to joyfully say, I did not deserve God's love and forgiveness through Jesus and his life laid down on that cross. But he gave freely to me anyways, and I will freely give love and forgiveness to you too. What a testimony of the love of Christ and humility that would be. Remember the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 8, 23 to 25. He refused to forgive his fellow servant who owed him little, though he claimed to be forgiven from much. He showed by his, his unforgiving spirit that the king's mercy had not changed him. Have you been changed? Let's make sure we're showing it. Let's make sure we're fruitful. Let's make sure we're showing love and forgiveness. Oh, and one final thing before we wrap up with some points to take home. Jesus taught us in his example of prayer in Matthew 5 to pray. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Do you pray in that manner? Do you mean it? Do you bring it out through your heart? Jesus also said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. You cannot earn mercy, but those who receive mercy must demonstrate it by showing it to others. So as we close in, I have three things for you to do. One, remember that big idea. God is merciful and forgiving, and he expects the same from his disciples. That's us. And number two, remember the key verse quoted today. Write it down. Put it into your memory. Put it into action. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Spurgeon once said, but if we forgive in words only, but not from our hearts, we remain under the same condemnation. So make sure we forgive from our hearts. Be real. 
not fake. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit within you to help you through that hard forgiveness. And then number three, I want us to close in prayer. But as we pray, let's not just seek forgiveness for ourselves, but ask God's Spirit to lead us to love and forgive others with our heart. Furthermore, as we pray for him to reveal to you specific names, pray for him to reveal to you specific names who you need to forgive so that the both of you, the both of you, can live in accordance with Christ's examples, his teachings, his wisdom, all for the glory of God and his kingdom living. Do you know Christ? Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted forgiveness of your wrongdoings against God, your sin? Are you following after him? If not, I invite you to start there today. Ask God to forgive you. Repent, turn away from these wrongdoings and live in accordance to Jesus' ways. Follow him and do these three things. Let's close in prayer now. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for forgiveness through Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I just ask, please, Lord, continue to forgive me for I am a sinner. Help me to live in accordance with Christ's ways. Lord, help us to remember that we are to forgive others just as you forgave us through Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to remember this example of forgiveness, Lord, that we are to be merciful and forgiving just as you are to us. Lord, I pray now to help us to forgive those who have, who have caused us harm, caused us wrong, Lord, even those who are still causing us wrong, wrong, those who have not sought out forgiveness through us, may we forgive them and move forward for your glory. Not allow it to hold us back from doing your work any longer. May we show them the love of Christ. Give us names today who we should call or write a letter or forgive in our hearts so that we can move forward and glorify you with our life. Amen. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you so let's make the most of this beautiful day since we're together we might as well say would you be mine could you be mine won't you be my neighbor won't you please won't you please please won't you be my neighbor hi glad to see you today i shall button my buttons on the sweater change my shoes and get ready to have some time with you in this very special studio of ours. Do you ever change your shoes when you come home from someplace? Oh, your school or your work or get ready to play. How are you doing with your tying? It took me a long time to learn how to make that and that into a bow. Mm -hmm. But I kept practicing and practicing and practicing. 
And finally, learned quickly. <laughs>